Just a couple things before we dig into God's Word. Uh, first of all, thank you for you guys that were able to come out yesterday and participate in our Angel House project. Uh, we were able to um, make a huge difference. Uh, when we showed up the houses, The gra- I think we were the last ones to tend to the landscaping, and the grass was about thigh high, and so uh, I've never mowed a lawn three times in a three-hour stretch. So, oh, I'll let her figure this out. So, anyway, but uh, thank you so much for doing that. Um, The next gathering that we have is going to be on June 11th, and that's going to be a Fire Pit Friday. If you do not know what a Fire Pit Friday is, imagine being on a Friday, hanging out with a lot of awesome people, and just sitting around a fire pit, playing games, hanging out, and... uh, that's it, and it is one of my favorite things. You should get to know people. You can invite neighbors, anybody that you want to invite, you can, and so uh, do that. So anyway, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, and uh, we're just going to continue on through there, and I'm going to pray and just ask God to speak to us tonight uh, through his word. So Father God, thank you so much. Uh, for the opportunity we have to be able to worship you. Thank you that Reuben is able to be back with us. He's been ill, and Jessica, and so just uh, thrilled that you have answered some prayer, and, and I know they're tired, and, uh, but I just pray that you'll just continue to give them the energy, and, uh, but thank you for the opportunity we had to worship you tonight. So grateful for you. We love you, and this we ask in your name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Hey, there we go. You're good. We don't need your father here, Mackenzie. You are awesome. See? (laughs) All right. Hey, for the past two years, um, we have been going through a series that just is based on the life of Christ. And it, John 1.14, one of my favorite verses of scripture, uh, tells us that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. It came full of grace and truth. That idea that he came and dwelled among us and did the things that he needed to do. And then we follow that up by a book called Acts. And it's kind of like a sequel. And so my, my daughter, Brooklyn, and, and I, uh, she's gotten me into the Mandalorian. And so we are in season one. I forget what episode we are in, but we are into the Mandalorian and I got to say, I'm loving every minute of it. As a 70s and 80s kid, it's just kind of hard not to just love that. Um, but it made me think, because Harrison Ford, I believe, is the one actor who has probably been in the best two trilogies ever. Um, take out The Godfather, which I think is the best saga, but Harrison Ford, the Star Wars trilogy, obviously, and the Indiana Jones trilogy, and that doesn't even bring in Jack Ryan and those things that he's done. But I was thinking about it in that a trilogy or a sequel um, usually kind of depends on uh, the previous show. And so now the Indiana Jones, I think you can watch each one independently and and you'll you'll do okay. Uh, You don't really have to watch uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You should because it is one of the greatest movies ever. Um, But to get into the temple of doom. I don't think you need to, it doesn't, you don't have to rely on that. It's not critical that you watch one to get to the other. But Star Wars, um, I think it kind of is. It's, you need to kind of watch, at least with four, five, and six, you need to watch them in order. 
or things aren't going to make sense to you. And so that's kind of what the sequel is. It, you know, it just kind of piggies, piggybacks off of the first one. And the book of Acts is kind of like the sequel to the Gospels. And this is going to be a little review for you guys. But this idea is in the Gospels is all about, remember John 1.14, God dwelling amongst us. He is among you through Jesus. And in Acts, it's God dwelling through us. God is going to dwell through you. And so Jesus, in the Gospels, came and did the very thing that he came to do, which was establish a new kingdom and to offer and provide a way for us to have eternal life, which is a good thing. We need that. Very simply, it was a sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, which was a payment for sin. And you'll hear that kind of understanding of payment uh, throughout the New Testament and even through the Old Testament. And the idea is this. Um, the payment for sin is needed because you need to be perfect. All right? You need to be seen as perfect in order for God to have this union with you because he is perfect. But unfortunately, no one except for Jesus is perfect, especially people I usually hang out with, including myself. And so therefore, according to God's word, there must be a payment for my sin. A price has to be paid for our sin. And in the Old Testament, what they would do is the payment that they would make is they would take an animal, and if you're an animal lover, this may be harsh, but they would sacrifice that animal. The blood is needed to be shed in order for it to be a payment for sin. And it was a momentary payment. Okay? Remember that. It's a momentary payment. Because the people of the Old Testament do, did exactly what we do. And do you know what that is? They kept on sinning. So they kept on sinning. And because of that, they had to continue to make sacrifices. They had to sacrifice more and more animals. But God's plan from the very beginning, and it's important for us to realize this, was to offer the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God to die and pay a price for your sins and mine. But this one is different. This is a different sacrifice. It is not a momentary payment. It was a payment that never runs out of funds. It never runs out of funds, which means that the blood of Jesus and the grace that is offered through his sacrifice is a once and for all payment, meaning the blood of Christ is still at work today. And that's a word that they use. It's called propitiation. It's the work of the cross. So if somebody throws out that kind of word, you'll say, oh, I know exactly what that means. It's the work of the cross. And it's still going on today because we keep sinning. And we do that so that we would be accepted by God. Because in Matthew 5.48, it says that you are to be, what's that word? Perfect. Do we have our, oh, no, you got to do them in order, Garrett. If you don't do them in order, there you go. So, you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the only way for you to be seen as perfect is for a perfect God 
to come down and take your sins and place it upon himself. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the good news. That is the gospel message, that a gift was given to you 2000, over 2,000 years ago, and it is still in good standing today. And then in the book of Acts, there is a push for us to share that with the world. And so if you remember from last week, Jesus instructs his disciples to share it with the world. In fact, he does it in all the Gospels, and he does it in Acts chapter 1. This is the way it reads in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That is the promise that God is now going to dwell through you. And you will be my, what's that word? Witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the reason they're kind of claiming those areas, that was a significant area. But they were going to take it to the end of the known world. But before we go any further in Acts, because I don't think we can really scratch the surface of Acts before we actually ask a question that is raised for you and for me in front, and it was also a question for the disciples at this specific time and place. When Jesus says, here's what I need you to do, they have a decision that they need to make. It's a decision that we have to make, and it's, will they own it? Will they own it? Will they own the gospel? If you're going to go out and preach the gospel, you need to be able to own it because you can't give something away that you don't first own yourself. So will they accept their place in the service of the Lord? See, when people give their life to Jesus, and this is the way it usually goes down in most churches, um, there may be a few exceptions, but usually they'll make their way down to the front of the church and they'll be asked to repeat their confession of faith. You can look through the Bible. You're not going to find this confession of faith that we're talking about. But it does basically contain the important information when you want to give your life to Christ. And they're going to be asked at some point in time, do you accept Jesus as your, what are the things? Lord and Savior. Do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? And what I want to do is kind of camp out tonight and work together as we strive to be the church that God wants us to be, that he's calling us to be. And I want us to do our best to see what it actually looks like to accept our place in the service of the Lord, what it looks like to accept him as Lord. We all love to accept the Savior aspect. People love that. The Lordship aspect, that's where people are like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. And so we're going to camp out there tonight. And so what does it look like to basically die to yourself and live in this growing affection of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to live your life in harmony with the Spirit of God and allowing Him to transform you from the inside out so that you can actually start to resemble Him? Resemble Him. Um, during COVID, I mentioned this, um, but I, I was sitting at a bar in Las Vegas, 
and I was having a conversation with this guy. I'd never met him before in my life. And of course, I grew up in Indiana, but I'm talking to this guy, and he looks at me after about an hour, and he goes, oh my gosh, you're Lyle Rosenberry's son. My dad's been to Vegas one time in his life, and it was with me, and it's when he turned 60. But I'm sitting here talking to this guy, and he says, you're Lyle Rosenberry's son, aren't you? And I was like, who are you? Now I'm weirded out a little bit. But he told me that he knew my parents. But spending time with me, in a short amount of time, he saw my father in me. And that's what we're looking for with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is that we would actually start to appear to look like him. Maybe not in physical appearance, but the way we would speak, our attitude that we would have, the way that we treat other people, but we'd actually start to resemble him. And it's what it should, it's what you should want. But very few people are up to the task. Because a life sold out for Jesus is just that. It's a life sold out to Jesus. And so I had to figure out what sold out means. And I immediately go back to my childhood. And I remember John Mellencamp concerts in Indiana. Because that's the first time I really... The Indianapolis 500 was always sold out. And so unless you had a friend that had tickets, I wasn't going to be able to go. And John Mellencamp concerts. Because he's from Indiana, and so they sold out fast. And they, in fact, his T-shirts that he had, and a whole bunch of kids from school had the T-shirts because they went to the concerts, and it had sold out on it. And that's just one thing I remember. I didn't go because my parents didn't trust me. <clears throat> uh, Jimmy Buffett in Cincinnati. For some reason in Cincinnati, Jimmy Buffett. All of them get sold out. I think of November 9th. Uh, 1995, uh, when the newly moved and named Colorado Avalanche uh, sold out their game that night, and every game after for 487 straight games, which is a by far NHL record. Sold out every single game for 487 games. And if you want to give me some signals of how the game's going, because it's Third period, and I'm Sarah told me it'd be sacrilegious if I had the game up on that screen. So. But here's what sold out means. Sold out simply means that there isn't any room for more. Every seat is accounted for. Now that got a little confusing for me because I would count seats in the stadium and figure out, okay, this is how many, and then they would name the attendance, and I'm like. Seems like a few hundred more than the seating. Evidently, they figured out a way to sell some more seats that they didn't actually have. So simply, here's the question. If sold out means that every seat is accounted for, if there is a seat, if there is a throne of your life, who is sitting in that seat? Is that you Are you sitting on the throne of your own life, or is it Jesus? If it is you, then you are sold out to yourself. But if it is Jesus, then you're going to be sold out to him. 
And here's what the disciples learned about being sold out to Jesus, that they would completely surrender everything to Jesus and his mission. That's what it looked like for them to be sold out to Jesus. So what Jesus just told them in Acts chapter 1, they were going to live out. In fact, most all of them were going to live to their very last breath, preaching it and teaching it, and they would die because of it. But this means that their time, their money, their dreams, relationships, their possessions. Did I leave anything out? It's their everything. Their everything belongs to him and is ready and available for his kingdom purposes. And as a Christ follower, that needs to become our goal and our pursuit. Now, I'm the one that believes that if you do that, God is going to bless you in amazing ways. He may not have you win the lottery, but I do believe you will have a blessed life if you are sold out to him in that way. But here's where the struggle lies, and you already know the answer. The struggle lies because we don't like to do that. We don't like to surrender things up, much of anything, but especially our time, our money, our dreams, our relationships, and our possessions. We don't like to do that. I don't want to sacrifice those things. And it's hard for us, but know this, you're not alone. You're not alone. Because if you went to the Garden of Eden and watched Adam and Eve, you would quickly find that they didn't want to either. They didn't want to surrender certain things up. And their son Cain also struggled with complete surrender and maybe a bit of anger. And story after story after story in the Bible where people struggled with complete surrender to God. In the book of Acts, we're going to see examples of both. We're going to see examples of people who struggled with complete surrender, like Ananias and Sapphira, who just needed to tell the truth and they didn't. And we'll see examples of people who were actually pretty good at it. Stephen, who would proclaim Christ with a whole bunch of rocks in people's hands around him, knowing that if he completed his sentence, it would cost him his life. And he did. And then he prayed. And as he prayed, he went to heaven. How cool is that? And Paul, the Apostle Paul, which we'll find out in Acts chapter 9. Complete surrender. When we get back into Acts chapter 1, this becomes the primary focus for the apostles to be 100% sold out to the kingdom work of God. And that they were now responsible for living their lives on mission, the mission of Christ, which we discover in all the Gospels, like we mentioned earlier, and in Acts chapter 1, is this idea of being a witness to the things that they had heard and that they had seen. So, we heard about these things, we've seen these things, now we're told to share it with the world. And so what God does for us is He hands us a Bible and He says, I want you to hear this, I want you to see this, I want you to learn this, and then I want you to go out and share it. I want you to be a witness to the world and I want you to make disciples, which means he wants us to 
basically teach people what it looks like to follow after God, to follow after Jesus. And if you want to teach that, it's something that you probably need to do yourself. And that's what it looks like. And that's what's asked the apostles. And it is also what he's asking us because it's the Great Commission. Or the great, um, I love the way that uh, one of the pastors out in California that I'll watch, he calls it the Great Assignment. That's what your friend calls it, the great assignment. Evidently, he didn't like commission. (laughs) But if you're sold out to it, you're going to continue to grow in your faith and you will live out the mission. But if you are not sold out to it, here's what it looks like. And this may sound familiar times in your life, and I know it is for me. If I'm not sold out to Christ then Jesus is not the primary thing. Jesus is just one of the many things that are important to you. And you will fit him in as long as it's convenient and doesn't cost you too much. All right? And I call that convenient Christianity. It's convenient Christianity, and that is a lot of folks. We like Jesus as long as it's convenient. I'm going to follow after Jesus as long as it's convenient. But I even struggle saying that because really convenient Christianity probably isn't even Christianity. In the Bible, the more and more that you discover what it looks like to be a true follower of God, true follower of Jesus Christ, you'll find out that there is nothing convenient about it. There isn't. You're not going to find a whole lot of people who are like, man, this is just really convenient to follow after him. Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pack everything up, your family, all the people that work for you, all of your herds. I want you to just load everything up, and I want you to go somewhere. You're going to move. Where? I'll let you know. Can I have a hint? Nope. I'll let you know, that does not sound very convenient. Try that. Pack up your house, sell your home, and just start traveling in whatever direction and say, okay, God, waiting for you to tell me where I'm going to go. That's not convenient. So Noah spends 100 years building a boat. I don't think that's very convenient. I need an animal for cruise ships. Then nobody really joined him on that outside of his family and a whole bunch of animals. Job, losing everything that was important to him outside of his wife and his faith, doesn't sound very convenient. Joseph, who basically goes through a living hell for 13 years, doesn't sound very convenient. Moses, 40 years, not so convenient. Elijah, I need you to stand up to the king and his evil, evil, evil wife. That doesn't sound very convenient. Esther, I want you to go to the king even though he's not going to necessarily summon you to him and you're going to ask him some really difficult questions. Esther would say that's not very convenient because if you go to the king and you're not summoned, you could be put to death. Doesn't sound very right. But not convenient, and that's what she's asked to do. All of the prophets, 
all the prophets basically are told to share a message with the people that they probably don't want to hear, which is because of your disobedience and because you have not honored God, you are going to be punished. That's not what you would want to hear. But for the prophets, it was not very convenient. John the Baptist, you're going to be a messenger. You're going to be the one that leads out. And I want you to stay strong to the things that honor God. And it cost him his head, which is not convenient at all. But there's a man in Mark chapter 10 that is asking Jesus what he needs to do to have eternal life. And Jesus tells him, you need to obey the commandments, which means that obedience does matter to God. But Jesus knew that there was something that was holding him up. It was his wealth. It was all his stuff. And I want you to notice something in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. A lot of times when people preach on this story, they kind of just move right on by that. And I don't want to do that. I want you to understand, man, Jesus actually felt genuine love for this man. He cared for this man. He didn't want to be separated from this man. But he says, there is still one thing that you haven't done. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Notice what he does there. If you do this now, I guarantee you this later. All right? If you do this now, I'll guarantee you this later. I want you to sell everything you have, all your possessions. I want you to give that money to the poor. And if Jesus is saying it, I would assume that Jesus is going to take care of you. And yet the scripture says that the man's face fell And he went away sad because he didn't want to get rid of the possessions that he had. It says that he was very wealthy, didn't want to give it up. And so I get this vision of someone in a room with the throne there and deciding which areas they're going to let Jesus sit in the chair and which areas of their life they want to sit in the chair. And this is a game I have played with God at certain times in my life where I see, and I know God is like, this is where I want to be, Jeff. I want to be on the throne of your life. And I'll be like, that's okay. This area and this area and this area. Oh, but wait, oh, I need you to get up because I want to sit there with this spot, this specific thing. So maybe people are like, you know what, Jesus, you can sit there on Sunday. A lot of people are like Sunday, as long as it's between this time and this time. I may give you Monday, probably Wednesday, because Wednesday used to be a church day, not so much anymore. Definitely, I need Friday, right? I need Friday night, especially. You can have a seat there when it comes to this, Um, but the bank account and the spending and finances, I think I need to sit in the seat, probably kick Jesus out. I'll let you kind of share the seat when it comes to the relationship that I have, but when it comes to the physical intimacy in the relationship, I'm going to need you to step aside and allow me to have the seat then. And so you embrace Jesus as your Savior, but 
we often fail to embrace him as our Lord sitting on the throne of our life. Colossians 3, and I'm going to end with this. Colossians 3 addresses this and addresses the struggle. I want you to hear this. In verse 3, it says, of the believer, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so we're going to die to this life and we're going to have this hidden life in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. In verse 5, it says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with them. And then he lists them. And you can read those things. These are the things you should stay away from because they're not the things that represent me. And then in verse 10, he says, So put on your new nature, your new self, and be renewed as you learn which means you're going to continue to dive into God's word. You're going to continue to learn what it looks like to look and resemble like him, to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Catch this. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters. And when Christ is all that matters, it changes everything. Because when Christ is all that matters, you're going to allow him to sit on the throne of your life. And when you do that, and it says, hey, here's what I need you to do. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I want you to go out and I want you to be witnesses to the ends of the world. In Judea, Samaria, all those areas. In Greeley, in Loveland, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. I want you to be a witness for me. We can do that when Christ is all that matters. And that is when you place your life inside the gospel when we place our life inside of the gospel and we don't allow anything to interfere with that. And that is what is being asked of the apostles in Acts chapter 1. As a church, we want to place our lives as a church inside the gospel. Each to do their, their very own part. It's oftentimes that it's not going to be very convenient there will be times where it's not very convenient. But you will have a heavenly Father that is very grateful. And that's the good thing. And I look back upon my life and the opportunities that I've had to share the gospel with people, and I don't think it was all me, but I look at people that I get to spend eternity with because people invested their time and their words into people that once were far from God, but now we get eternal life together simply because we share the gospel with people. So that's our prayer.
And that's my prayer for all of us here, for everybody that's online, is for us to just sit inside the gospel of Jesus Christ and share it with as many people as we possibly can. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. We are grateful for you, and you came here, and you came in flesh. You traveled through the cosmos, and you put on skin. And you lived a life that was so humble. And then you laid your life down for us. It's a perfect gift for imperfect people. And I pray that we will be sold out to that message. It will be sold out to sharing it with as many people as we can. So help us to do that. And we remember that sacrifice each week as we partake in your Holy Communion. So we give you this time and our time of response. And this we ask in your name. Amen.